It's Monday the 26th of April 2021. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Jules Chambers, the creator and host of All Things Iceland, an award-winning podcast and YouTube channel that talks about Icelandic nature, culture, history and language. Welcome to you. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here again. Again, yeah. Yeah. Second time. (laughs) Yep. Um, This this past week, we uh, notably celebrated the official first day of summer. And it's a case of so far so good as we're recording outside today, uh, which is nice. The composition of lava at the Geltinkadalir eruption is changing. Uh, Possible names for the lava field have been submitted and plans are afoot for how to deal with the estimated 3,000 foreign visitors per day come the autumn when restrictions start to be lifted. The trial in the Breidraborgastigur arson and killing case has begun today with 38 witnesses being registered over the next three days. The border rules have come into effect and we are at the start of the biggest vaccination week to date in Iceland. Woo! Microplastics have been found in an Icelandic glacier, two actually, um, for the first time, scientists have confirmed. Icelandic hopes that the Oscars came to nothing last night, but the town of Husavik enjoyed yet another moment in the world's spotlight. The American and Russian foreign ministers have both announced they will attend next month's Arctic Council meeting in Reykjavik. And Iceland dropped one place on the Press Freedom Index uh, at the same time as private companies' interactions with journalists are in the spotlight and Freytablad is turned 20 years old. Where would you like to begin? Well, I think because I was at the volcano last night, it might be nice to talk about that. Uh, this is my second time. And it was just incredible, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, that I went the Tuesday after the eruption happened and there was one cone that you could visibly see at least from where we were and then on the other side of it and i think over time those two connected but over the month the amount of fissures that have opened up and have created lava and then are dormant now and after going yesterday it's just incredible to see how much the landscape has changed how much lava flow has actually spread out and then how high it is too i was just it's beautiful to kind of see this new earth being born and like potentially becoming a shield volcano but also as you mentioned like the amount of people that might be going to this eruption in the future and the amount of people in Iceland that have already gone is also bizarre to me to some degree I mean I'm I've gone you've gone so maybe it shouldn't be that surprising but I'm a little bit afraid about how this is going to work especially with COVID so that's just one thing I'm thinking about initially as we start this conversation yeah I mean obviously there's there's few there are foreign tourists there uh, but but few uh, we've got uh, quarantine rules in place and things like that but that is going to change throughout the year so it, it's kind of good that they're thinking about this now I suppose yeah I think they have to because they are already cases of a person who broke quarantine or had some kind of infection and went to meaning a covid strain and went to the sites and then they found some other people who had also been infected and using ropes as you're going up and everyone's touching and then you get so close together if you're waiting to go up the um, steep incline. So it's it's great that being proactive, but it's mainly because they're being forced to. You know, it's like at first everyone was thinking it was just fine because you weren't hearing about any cases at the eruption because it's outside. So you assume everyone is social distancing. But at the beginning, there were only so many areas that you could be, and it wasn't as spread out as it is now, so you found more people clustering together. So yeah, I'm just, 
I just don't want it to be more a reactive thing. This is always kind of the case, you know, in, in uh, many instances. And with COVID, I think we've learned so many lessons regarding being proactive. And I've been proud of Iceland in many, you know, cases. But there's always chances where we're like, we just do a little bit too early, like opening it up, for instance, to non-Schengen area countries. I'm excited because that means that my vaccinated family and everything could visit, but I'm also a little bit hesitant about how this all plays out because so many people in Iceland have not been vaccinated. And there are people who, even if you're vaccinated, can still carry the virus. So I know that the most recent message I think are really great that they've taken in place to uh, have people who are vaccinated still tested at the border. So like kind of rolling into that conversation is good in this whole quarantine hotel debacle <laughs> that happened. Debacle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, this, and the new regulation. I mean, I don't think that people ever thought that the government uh, would have to fight potential lawsuits. That was the biggest shocker because this is not like a litigation society as it would be you know, in the United States or maybe in other countries. And this new law that's been passed is basically like, look, you have to you know, have it together, like either have a place where you can stay and show that two days, at least 48 hours before you come or, you know, stay in a quarantine hotel. Well, and, and that's only for some countries. Other ones, yeah, you yeah. don't even have that choice. Right, it's it's hotel or nothing. which yes. is yeah. yeah. Which again, it's like if you're coming from a place where a ridiculous amount of people have the per, you know, 14 day incidence rate. I think it's fair and no one's trying to ruin anyone's vacation, but in terms of protecting the residents that are here, it's super important because so many of us are being patient and waiting. Like we we can't just go anywhere else and get vaccinated. Like we just like like most other people, we just we don't have like say I don't know how it's going in the UK, but in the US, like there's a hoarding of vaccines and so many like you can go to many states and you don't even live there and get vaccinated. In Iceland you have to wait and nobody wants to get sick and the long-term effects that are coming up about uh, the side effects of covid is scary for everybody so we just are doing our best to be patient and we hope that other people will work, work along with that system until it's safer yeah. and uh, it is a big week this week for vaccinations um I forget what they were saying now. Is some very huge number, like fifty thousand or yeah, something, or thirty thousand or something like that. It's it's a lot that are going to get their first shot today, or this week, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's a. I'm really happy to see that. I think there's also this debate about like the Janssen vaccine and AstraZeneca. Like it's just unnecessary anxiety <laughs> that comes out of knowing if there's going to be issues regarding it, and I'm just hoping that since they've decided to go ahead with using those two, it'll be fine. Apparently men do quite well when it comes to the AstraZeneca one, meaning like no complications or whatever else. So I don't know if they're going to specifically give it to men more often. Or, I, my mother-in-law though got AstraZeneca and she's seven, gonna be 71. So over a certain age and then also if you're younger, maybe a male. And then Jensen is from Johnson & Johnson, which I don't wanna have anything against Johnson & Johnson, but I'm kind of not feeling it at the moment. <laughs> this, this. Well, it's, it's very significantly, it's the, uh, it's the, the single dose one, yes, though, which is yeah. a huge difference. Exactly. And so Jensen is made by Johnson Johnson, just called Jensen here or in Europe. Europe, And yeah, I just, I, I'm just looking forward to hopefully everything going smoothly. And also, um, if there is an issue that authorities will be quick to react to be like, no, we'll just pull it back off again. You know, like I think people would rather wait than have the anxiety of 
is there going to be a side effect that could be life-threatening? And they have proven that so far, haven't they? There, there, there seems to be a great deal of caution when it yeah. comes to, you know, oh, one in a million possibly stop it find out yeah. and then go back yeah i think it's just interesting though that there are some countries that have like nor have have stopped completely at the moment so iceland stopped for a moment and then they took it back again they're deciding to do it again whereas like norway for instance they're just like no we're holding off and i think it was maybe denmark as well yeah. and that to me is like you know it's a very nordic thing for other nordic countries to follow each other so it's always curious to me is like why in iceland Specifically, did um, the chief epidemiologist decide that this was safe, but in other countries they didn't? Are they just being way more precautious? You know, that's it's kind of more of the question. It's And it's not a questioning of authority, but rather just of interest to understand better. Because all of us are in this to just feel like we're informed. So the decisions that we make, because you don't have a choice when you go to get a vaccine. You just get whatever is available to you to just feel safe. And um, I'm all for getting vaccinated i just want to feel like i understand if there's an, a risk what that risk is and how much of a risk it is i mean the moment i saw the news about norway and denmark i just assumed immediately oh that's it then iceland definitely yeah. and it didn't happen uh but then of course norway and denmark are the only two countries that have taken that step yeah that's true and it's possible that if any other complications come up then others will jump on board i think maybe they're just waiting for that in essence 25,000, by the way, not 50. 25,000, yeah, yeah. I got a bit ahead of myself. Yeah, I think I said 30. So we're both like, we're both like, yeah, but it's like, okay, okay, 25,000 is still a lot, though. <laughs> so that's amazing. And that's a huge week for Iceland, mm. considering that, what is it now, like 32 or something, 1,000 that uh, I've already, will have had one shot or something like that. Yeah. Mm. And in 20 something thousand are already fully vaccinated. And 23,000 of those 25 this week, uh, it's going to be the first dose. So yeah. it's. it's extending the project massively exactly and this is so needed and i'm very happy to hear that um okay should we move on to something else yeah. what else yeah, grabbed your attention <laughs> COVID is so i think of the other news that you had on your list so many things yeah we had well obviously the oscars the arctic council meeting mm -hmm. uh the microplastics in the glaciers is is a potentially interesting one yeah first day of summer um, yeah. Well, oh, and, and, and the, the, the arson trial as well. Yeah, the arson trial. So, I mean, this is one of those, like, a lot of people have been paying close attention to, including myself, just because it's horrifying what happened. And also just conditions in general. And the fact that this is, this case, even though it's an individual who, uh, what their motive was exactly, I'm not um, totally understanding that, but I, but it brought attention to a much bigger issue. And I think that is the most important part to me is of course they should be on put on trial and, you know, sentenced accordingly, but the living conditions and the fact that these individuals who, in this house, the way it had been set up, there was pretty much they were set up to die if there had been a fire and more likely there would be a fire because of uh, I think like smoke alarms weren't in there. Like there was like all these different, you know, like um, fire escapes weren't available and companies that have been hiring workers and providing housing for them that's unsafe. You know, this is like, that was the initial conversation. And I don't know, uh, especially with individual groups, how much more this is being pushed. But I feel like this is just the start of what needs to be a, a change in regulations and in terms of people paying attention and doing more like safety checks especially for these types of um, deals that come in where workers can be exploited and their housing is part of their contract and 
things of that nature. So even though it's not about this individual person, um, meaning what I'm talking about, I think that, and no pun intended, he sparked something, you know, that is uh, lighting a fire that has to continue, that has to like end up being that we resolve a lot of these issues because exploitation in Iceland is real in terms of workers and we're there's been a, a blind eye to some degree like it's I remember people talking about it and I think her name is um, uh, I can't remember the author's name at the moment but she's pretty popular on Facebook and she's been Alta Alta Sigmund Stotter there you go so she was saying that she went invested by it she when she was living by this place mm -hmm. she would go by there and often she had a friend who lived there at one point who said that the living conditions were horrible and she had to move with her daughter. And so a lot of people in the neighborhood knew about it. It was basically like an open secret to some degree that there was something wrong here. And that's the point that makes me really sad is that this was very preventable. And again, like how many more places are, are existing like this that are disasters waiting to happen? And I mean, in this particular case as well, it was Yes, like you say, it was sort of set up for disaster, but it was an extra element of, of intrigue to the story, if you yeah. will, that, that, that the, it was a, a case of arson and that the man was registered as living at the house as well. Um, and he's been declared unfit for sentencing by psychiatrists since then. Um, but that doesn't mean he won't be convicted necessarily. Right. It depends on what the judges... Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating case. and. It's the first time anyone's been put on trial for killing three people in Iceland. So it's, it's big too. Yeah, absolutely. It's bizarre and unfortunate just because psychiatrically, I mean, this, you know, this individual is having these issues. It just makes it a more complex, basically, of a problem. But in the end, whether he ends up in an institution in order to get help or, or actually ends up you know, being sentenced and uh, goes to jail, the still that prime like that underlying aspect of it is still there right because there were a bunch of people that were registered as living there too this this case is really kind of is opened a bit of a pandora's box <laughs> because it's like what is going on like how is this even possible that all these people are registered as living here and they don't and it's almost like a, a revolving door of residents to some degree but i mean there were 13 people in the house yeah literally yeah, yeah. physically speaking yeah. which is a lot and then even more who have been like, who hadn't changed their residence or something like that. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll see what happens at least with that. And first day of summer. This is <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a big deal every year, even though the weather doesn't always play game, uh, play ball. Um, hasn't been too bad though this year. No, it rained. I mean, that's a typical thing though. It's rainy. It's a little bit ironic that it's the first day of summer in Iceland in April, right? But according to the old Icelandic calendar, this is where this comes from. And I think in that terms, if you keep it in that shift and it's not about having great weather, but rather the harsh, the harshest of winter is over, because it could still snow technically. I mean, I remember my first year living in Iceland, I think it was in May, we had a week where it would just sometimes randomly snow. And I was like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought we were done with this, right? What happened to the first day of summer? That was last month. But, but that's just, it's not going to get horrible. It's not going to be like the worst of winter. And I think that mentality, and also longer days, that mentality really helps you when you're not expecting summer weather, but rather you're expecting, okay, I'm making a shift now into more daylight, um, 
usually no snow <laughs> or at least and the days are progressively getting warmer as well yeah it's a lovely time of year and it comes at the end of the the least snow in Reykjavik since 1974 I want to say or 1970 something yeah and the second most in Akureyri. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't read that part. That's amazing. That's, it's like, we'll just shift all the snow north this year, <laughs> which Akureyri in general, I think is more snowier for the most part, but I didn't realize it had been that much more snowier. Yeah. I was surprised about how much less snow we got this year. And it was, I don't know if you, if you noticed it as much, but like, I was like, wait, what's happening right now? We're February and it's still like hardly any snow and, and in a way it's a, sometimes a little bit of a relief because in well in Mosa where I live we get thick sheets of ice on the sidewalk mm -hmm. so in lots of areas in Reykjavik it's fine because you have like you know hot pipes under the streets so walking on the sidewalk is no big deal but in Mosa you're like ice skating a little bit <laughs> so in some ways that makes it nice but I also do appreciate snow and the, how it brightens up the winter time and things of nature so uh, hopefully this is just a fluke year and we don't get like punished in the summertime or something <laughs> like, or next winter for that matter no no it's going to be brilliant i've already decided you've already decided okay it's all about mindset isn't it <laughs> that one makes the big deal <laughs> it is and another icelandic travel summer ahead it seems uh, for most people um so a bit of good weather will help the economy if nothing else yeah exactly and We've already got approved for travel vouchers, for more travel vouchers, which I think that's just a, a bit of a stimulus, which is nice. It's not a lot of money, but it's just in essence, like, take this and use it in order to help smaller companies. The question, the bigger question is, is will smaller companies really benefit enough from this or will it go to like the bigger companies that have more marketing budget to be like, here, we're having a deal. Give us your travel voucher. Uh, but I, I do like the initiative anyway, that the government is trying to help Icelanders to feel incentivized to go out and be, you know, around the country. And last summer was great. It was amazing to go to all these different places that are normally filled with tourists and you just hear Icelandic all around you. And, and it just it was almost felt like, a, I wouldn't say a family reunion, but this kind of, in essence, like this community gathering of, you know, Icelanders in the country and, and foreign nationals too, like the people who feel at home here is what I'm trying to say because you got to enjoy these places with nobody there, you know, with very few people. And that's a gift, honestly. Absolutely. Okay, there was the Oscars, the Arctic Council, the Press Freedom Index. Yes. Ooh, the Press Freedom Index. Okay, let's do the Arctic Council first because I've got some thoughts about the Press <laughs> Index. So I just think it, just as a short kind of a tidbit for me is I'm glad that this is happening. You know, if we think about Trump and, you know, being from the United States myself, it's relief to see that the U.S. is taking part in more important discussions and there isn't much of a hesitation around it, you know, and then you have other countries like Russia as well who are big players in the world and it feels like we're coming back to some normalcy when it comes to, to politics. Now, granted, everybody has their you know, issues in terms of they don't agree with, you know, each nation or policies or whatever, but the fact that you can often re refuse or the Trump administration often refuse to even show up is the biggest problem because it's like then there's no discussion, there's no movement, and in essence we're, you know, pulling out of or have pulled out of in the past many important arenas in which if without the U.S. nothing would happen. 
So for me, that's just my tidbit on it is I'm just really happy to see that this is something that doesn't feel like it's a pain, right? To just hear in the news and be like, oh yeah, something else we're not gonna take part in. But actually this is, you know, help with the situation in the Arctic because there isn't much that's going to come out of it unless big players decide that they're going to use their influence too for their greater good. I mean, the Arctic Council has been around for decades and um, I, I, I think probably most people don't know a great deal about it, yeah. but it does have this two-year presidency that rotates among the countries and Iceland is coming to the end of its two years and Russia is taking over. Um, and so it was kind of sort of a welcomed as a sort of a positive step that Sergei Lavrov was going to come and, and take over the presidency in person, especially yeah. during times of COVID. And then, yeah, uh, Blinken coming as well. It will be the first time they've met. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. And that's just pretty, my, pretty much my, my thoughts on it. It's just happiness that it's happening. And then hopefully there's actually collaboration like meaningful collaboration and not just people doing their regular political talk and bureaucratic things. Mm. It'd be interesting as well to see how the reports go at the end, like what sort of report card Iceland gets for its two years ahead, because Iceland's quite strong with the soft power and, yeah. and getting its way in smaller sort of areas, the human rights field, for example. Um, and and it's pretty clear that Russia's going to have a different take on it um, as, as a major world power and and what sort of level of success they will get in and in what areas well i mean there's always going to be they have a certain agenda and i think that's the part that we have to just be prepared for mm -hmm. is that there going to be certain things where russians specifically putin is going to have his hand in it if it becomes you know enough of um an advantage for them but that's just how politics works right and then the rest of us u.s included needs to then find their leverage too so we'll see and america gets its turn as well yeah, at, at it, the helm it, it always <laughs> it always will. i mean it's like those those uh it's like u.s russia china all these really big players they have their hand in it whether it's like they're directly the ones that are making decisions or they're you know utilizing their partners in order to get things done so talking of power and influence mm -hmm. <laughs> so the index for um, media and journalism here in Iceland and the fact that we've lost one place. I think it went from 15 to 16 or something like that. 16? Precisely, yep. yeah. So this is not entirely <laughs> surprising to me. I think it's just more important though because a lot of people, especially the projection of Iceland out into the world, is that you know, you think about the pot and pan revolution and all these individuals really fighting. And it's true that like as a collective, there have been a lot of great protests and people like really getting out there and going against what would be like the, the norm in Iceland. But people outside think, oh, man, Icelanders as as in general, like freedom of speech. You know, they really want to believe that this is the case. But now we're seeing from an outside source because people in Iceland have been talking about it for a long time like companies buying up um, publications and then skewing it you know depending on their political party Morgenbladet for instance right and these individuals while I wouldn't say that they're evil or anything they're just they have their own agendas but then what does that make the press what's the point of the press right and if, if we want to boil it down the press is supposed to be this kind of outside voice 
that's looking in and giving you know either factual well, of course factual information but like then opinions of well as well but if your chance of being alive as a publication is dependent on your owner who is a company that has the agenda to sell ads or, or just their political party wants you to sway it one way or the other then it's bs right and then we're all just kind of playing this game and i'm glad that people were talking about it but I'm also just sad to know that like the government was like well we're gonna think of ways of, of how we can fund this and it's like is that the right route e2 like why do you want it to be government funded like this is the problem right we need to have independent resources so that people like Kvekur um, or like Stuntin like we need investigative journalism and we need people to not lose their livelihoods just because they decided to run a story that is true about a big corporation regarding fish quotas or Sam Hedie or something like that you know they shouldn't be in jeopardy and that is I don't know how long that's gonna take or if it's really gonna have um, an impact this this study if people don't keep on it because there have been you know of course hot topics that come up and then people after a year it's just forgotten and things have stayed the same mm -hmm. so it's like government interaction in my opinion is more about breaking up the monopoly of who of who the voices are and then getting back to independently funded entities instead of government funded entities in my just my you know how I feel about it there, of course there might be people who have very different visions on this mm. I guess at the core of it though like some mechanism to make sure that people that journalists can do their job without being uh, threatened or without being brought down a peg or without having their financing threatened is the number one thing yeah regardless of where the money comes from it should do, and it should go without saying shouldn't it yes that's the point that is i think that this index brings up is there is a lack of protection is obviously bullying that is happening and there's also um silencing when it comes to you literally can't work in certain organizations unless you're going to print what they have told you to print instead of no i've got this hot story and this is what's happening and this is for the better of society that i tell this story but if you do it could bring down a company and sometimes it doesn't bring down a company i mean look at some heady that's a prime example right we all thought that like ceo is gonna be god like, and he's back <laughs> it's just, just like that like a little it's it's blown over you know and then you think about people who have been convicted in uh, other countries and it's like in Iceland there's that's not happening you know so there's a multi sides to the story is like first of all you can tell the story and that might ruin you as an individual but was the risk worth it were there any consequences even right so there's more of an overhaul of how all of these work together if the government wants to protect number one like you mentioned that is key for sure, protecting journalists and protecting the ability to be able to tell these stories and of course the funding part. But then at the end, like, what are we saying journalism is for if there aren't any consequences for the, what's happening? For like, if we even go back to the story about the arson, you know, talking about how there's a bigger story here, what's going to happen with that? So the story broke and people are outraged, but they're outraged for a couple of months. And then it's now it's just focused on the arson. When in reality, if we don't protect people in terms of rights of workers and rights of uh, and people's homes regulations wise, we're just going to end up with this some years later again. And then everyone being outraged for a couple of months and then going back to the same song and dance. Yeah.
Absolutely, but of course, public rage isn't isn't a tool of government. I, it, it's a spur. But then, hopefully, the wheels have been set in action, and hopefully, th- real change happens behind the scenes that yeah. we don't necessarily hear about from day to day. Uh, that's the way it should be, at least. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as far as the ranking goes, being 16th best, if you will, yeah. highest in the world, on the face of it, sounds pretty good. Until you look at the fact that all of the other Nordic nations are in the top five. Mm-hmm. So Iceland is a sore thumb example there um, compared to its the countries that it compares itself most readily to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the fact that it's often this comparison of like, yeah, when it comes to gender equality or whatever else, Iceland is up there with all of the... But why in this aspect are we so low? And I think just a lot of self-awareness as a country... <laughs> is necessary to move higher up because it isn't going to be that it's going to happen organically. There's always going to be companies, there's always going to be greed, there's always going to be people who want to sway things their way. And that's what government is for too, is regulation. So it's just, like you mentioned, like public outrage can spark governmental regulation, but the government still has to take those actions in the first place. They have to respond to that. And If, people, if they want to. If they won't, if people don't vote them out. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like, there has to be consequences. So it's always this kind of sway back and forth of like, the community has the power. Of course, it, it's usually when elections come up, but enough can happen with their scandal or outrage. And people go, no, we're going to have elections now. You know, or, and if they have to decide that, is it worth it for journalists? And I would say absolutely that if you're going to the polls the next time, your thought is not just, you know, we have the environment because that's really important. But getting out these stories that help us as uh, a society to be able to progress is key. Key information is key, and you know, being informed citizens is key. And this is kind of where we could sway away from it because it's it's change, and it's having to change a habit, and having to think differently about maybe your favorite newspaper because it might agree with you. But maybe you need to hear that conflicting report that says something that about your the company that you've trusted in for this long, because maybe they're doing more harm than good. An important point to make, especially in a election year. Yes. <laughs> um, well, there we go. It's happened again. We're out of time. Oh no! <laughs> but the week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the third of May, on ruv.as forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook through the Ruv app and your favourite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guest today, Jules Chambers, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for seeing to the technical side of things. We finished today with a song called Skinny by Kaleo, uh, the music video for which was recorded at the erupting volcano just uh, a few weeks ago. Bye for now. Makes you feel good What makes you angry inside Why don't you love me How do you wanna fuck me Go fight You never asked me